0: Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic high-stakes industry. Hosted by Crank Pickett, founder of North Star Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Picken. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. As always, I'm Craig Picken. Hey, today I've got uh, my old and good friend, Hank Coates. And Hank is the new president of the Commemorative Air Force. Um, The Commemorative Air Force, as most people know, is the organization that supports a couple hundred historic uh, aircraft around the country. Um, and it's an organization that's fantastic for inspiring kids and adults as to the benefits of aviation and aerospace. Hey, Hank, congratulations on the uh, the new role as president of the Commemorative Air Force.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, we've got uh, over 170 aircraft across the United States. And about 70 units and we even have units in France and and across the world that that have their own aircraft and it's uh it's really an exciting place to be and a lot of exciting things going on and a lot of travel it's it's certainly you know no grass grows under your feet here
0: yeah so i mean you guys have been around how long has the uh, the organization been in existence for what you know 30 years now 40 years
1: Yes, over that we had a name change uh, about nine years ago to the Commemorative Air Force. But yes, it's been around for a long time. It got started actually, kind of interestingly enough. Uh, some gentlemen were uh, saw that aircraft were being destroyed. Uh, World War II aircraft were being destroyed, and they they were looking around and they're like, "Wow, we, we really need to preserve these airplanes and the heritage that goes with them." And so they bought the first one, I think it was for $1,900. And from there, it just kind of, you know, it was a couple of little units here and there. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now a headquarters and, and an international presence. Um, it, it really is a, an amazing group of people and an organization. What's,
0: uh, what's the, you yeah, look, what's the mission of the, you yeah, what's the mission of the Commemorative Air Force? I know it's a nonprofit. Historic preservation yes. craft, but it's got to be a little bit more. Th- uh, you know, I'm sure there's a whole lot more involved that people really don't think about.
1: And it is um, one of the things that we really, really want to emphasize and and moving forward is um, we basically have three words that describe what we do, which is we, we want to educate, we want to inspire, and we want to honor those who have uh, made great sacrifices for our country through flight and the. Uh, the, the real key thing here is that word flight. It, it means so many different things. You know, a lot of people hear flight and they just think airplanes and getting in an airplane and flying in an airplane. But to, to whoever hears that or says that, it means something different. You know, to, to some economically depressed young man or lady in, a, in an inner city, flight means getting away from a bad situation. To um, somebody that might be stereotyped and said, well, you can't be an engineer or you can't be a pilot, flight means freedom of the mind to be able to experience something that, you know, maybe historically uh, that person felt like they were, had a barrier uh, to them. So uh, we want to, uh, we want to educate, we want to honor, we want to inspire through flight. That's, all, that's what our goal is.
0: You know, the, uh, the it's, it's amazing, you know, the, the, if you ever go to Savannah, Georgia, and you go see the Mighty Eighth Air Force Museum, I took my father-in-law, he's 91 years old and we went to the mighty eighth and they've got you know, some B-24s and some B-17s and some, you know, post-Korean war bombers there. And, and you think about like World War II and being a bomber pilot or a bomber crewman and what it was like. And um, to think, you know, it, it's really eye-opening. And it's nice to see preserving really that history.
1: And, and we've got a lot of those aircraft. You know, I was talking to some of our guys. We've got planes going over next year to, uh, to the Normandy uh, celebration, and then they're going to go on over into Berlin for the Berlin Airlift, the 75th anniversary of D-Day and the 70th anniversary of the Berlin Airlift. And, you know, they, they did this. A couple of these guys did this a few years ago. And they were flying across the North Atlantic in uh, DC-3s or C-47s, and he said it was like 10 degrees below zero back there, non-pressurized aircraft. I mean, those guys really had to be tough. Just to operate the aircraft, uh, it, it, it took a, a very special person to be able to physically maneuver the aircraft, but also to, to take the, the environmental conditions that some of these guys went through It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, you know, you think about it. 30 degrees below zero for eight hours on a bombing mission.
1: Yeah, and, exactly.
0: You know, the, the the stuff that's just unthinkable to us today. So, I, I mean, it, it, it. like I said, yeah, just going to see in that museum and spending a couple hours there really boggled really boggled my mind. One
1: of, one of the things that we, we're doing at a lot of our air shows and we're doing here at the Wings of Dallas Air Show coming up next month is um, we really like focusing on Look, the airplanes are cool and everybody really loves the airplanes, but but something that's starting to happen is uh, called living history uh, exhibitions where people come in and they set up reenactors and people that, that have been collecting these the equipment, the jeeps and the half tracks and the flamethrowers. And there's a whole group of people out there that have some really, really neat things and they want to show them. And, they, and we have in, reenactors. And the amount of authenticity that they go through—I mean, you look—you look through their, you know, the first aid kit on their belt, and it's absolutely perfectly vintage. Um, and and so that's what's becoming very, very popular at a lot of the, the upper end air shows that, spec- you know, that work with the Warbird type type uh, venues. Um, and so we're going to do that here in Dallas, and it's being done in other places. And it just—it's just one more way of educating and bringing a different group of people into the the fold, so to speak. Cool. Hey, with
0: you know, the, with the um, you know, along those lines, though, with you know, hey, look, kids are getting into you know, video games and different you know different things. as the is you know, as the population shifts, do you do, are, is the younger generation still as interested as you know you and I might have been?
1: Well, you know, I. I think they hunger for that, actually, and that's one of the things that we've talked about here. Is you know, when you and I grew up, we had heroes. We, you know, we had John Wayne and we had Audie Murphy and we had all those guys that you could look to on the big screen, and and they reenacted bigger than life. Uh, you know, they portrayed bigger than life people. And if you look at the the movies being presented by Hollywood, yeah, there's a lot of the you know the crash bang. Uh, excitement videos. But there's also been a lot of, of historic-type movies about World War II and, and World War One and, and the struggles that ensued. And I think that young people today, yes, they are drawn to the video games and SpongeBob SquarePants, and, and, and they do have a lack of heroes, for, for lack of a better term. But I think that they are also hungering for learning about history because the attendance at air shows has not gone down it's a great family activity. It's safe. And we need to provide uh, outlets for these young folks other than just video games and, and and movies. And I think a lot of them, when they get there and they see it, especially if it's hands-on, like the living history, and they can walk up to a P-51 Mustang that flew in World War II and put their hand on it, maybe even go for a ride in it, it, it it brings a level of clarity and to so something they can actually touch and feel. Yep. It's not just a story anymore. And I think I think young people today, once they see that, it turns a light on in their head, and uh, they go, Wow, I can do this. You know, and a young lady who's never really thought about being a pilot, and she's out there and she's seeing female pilots, and she's seeing, you know people like her that are doing these things, and she goes, "I can be an engineer, I can be a pilot and so I think that's a big a big part of what we're talking about when we educate and inspire
0: yeah, no, you're absolutely right i mean um i was at I was at the uh Iowa conference, the international aerospace women's Association. And, you know, you met the, the first female, I met the first female F-35 pilot. And she was saying that she was inspired by, you know, the the very thing that you guys are doing. You know, she went to an air show. She saw some World War II airplanes. She saw some other stuff, other airplanes and, and inspired her to be a pilot. And next thing you know, she's in the Air Force flying F-15Es and then transitions to the F-35 and, um, you know her career takes off. I, I met another young lady who flew. I, I, I couldn't believe it. She flew a, uh, I think it was a Mooney around the world. And yeah, yeah. you're like, wow. Um, yeah, you know, so to, to think what you guys <laughs>
1: yeah. inspire people to be in our industry. It's pretty cool. Yeah, There's a lot of, there's a lot of stories like that. And what a lot of people don't know is just a lot of stories not just contemporary stories, but you take the Red Tail Squadron and the Tuskegee Airmen, and and then the wasp, uh, the female pilots that supported you know the Army Air Corps in World War II. You know those are stories about flight. You know they're stories about people that wanted to contribute, and and initially weren't wanted. They they were like you know no 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 we don't want you to be a part of this. But then when they did become a part of it and they, become, they started contributing not only were they wanted, but they were highly revered. I mean, the bomber, the bomber guys loved the Red Tail Squad. No and doubt. They loved the Tuskegee Airmen because they were some of the best. And so you know, a lot of times those stories of inspiration and breaking barriers that are historical, they get forgotten. They're forgotten in the midst of time. But what we really, really want to do is go, look, not only are there great role models of African-Americans and females today in aviation. But look back at World War II. There's some great role models and stories from there as well.
0: Well, you look at, you know, you look at the, you know, the right stuff, you know, great book, great movie. You think about Chuck Yeager, a guy with no college degree who you know, ultimately turns on to be one of the best, you know, flight test engineers and test pilots the world has seen today. Um, quite frankly, you know, if uh, yeah, he'd probably still be a pretty darn good pilot, um, you, know, in, you know, by today's today's standards. Um, yes, and, you know, it's it's crazy. It's you know, the, the great you know the, the stuff that aviation teaches people, it's a lot of lessons that aren't taught. You know, they're certainly not taught in Silicon Valley.
1: And so, no. And and the interesting thing when I was when I was a flight instructor in the Navy. Several times, many <laughs> a few years ago, I'm telling myself, a lot of the guys, uh, my fellow flyers, would kind of get aggravated at, at the young, the young uh, student Navy pilots. And, you know, I told them, I said, guys, if you look back and you think about ourselves when we came through here, these guys, in many, many ways, have better reflexes. They think differently, they think faster. Yeah, you get frustrated at them for certain things, but they have so much more ability to learn. And uh, because of the, look, you know, you hear a lot of people talking bad about computer games. There are some very good things about computer games. It teaches you to learn quickly. It teaches you to learn to assess scenarios and to use hand-eye coordination to fix it. So, you know, there are some very valuable things within the gaming industry that can be applied to aviation and, and vice versa that, um I think sometimes people tend to overlook. So uh, it's yep. just, a, it's the, the generation of today, the younger generation of today, they are very different, but there's no reason that that's a good difference or a bad difference. It just, you know, we we need to make sure that we uh, utilize those differences in a constructive manner.
0: Yep. I gotcha. Hey, I mean, so obviously you got the commemorative airport air force, you've got 170, you yep. know, you know, older aircraft, what's the, ch- the the biggest challenge? How do you keep these things flying?
1: Well, we have 170, 171, I think, today uh, aircraft, almost ex- almost all of them are War II aircraft. I mean, there's a few T-34 uh, Bravos in the mix, but most of them are World War II aircraft. But we also have a fairly large number of privately owned aircraft that that participate with us. Uh, The maintenance is done via either volunteer efforts or it's paid for and done, you know, local mechanics or local FBOs and and service providers. But it's paid for via uh, the generous funding of our members. And I mean, it takes a whole tsunami of passion, you know, volunteers and staff and supporters to, to keep these airplanes flying. I mean, you, you know, not only do you have, you know, engines that have to be repaired and rebuilt, but you know, the older aircraft have fabric on them, that that takes time and then it has to be redone. Some of our units do a lot of that maintenance through volunteer efforts of the people there. But then, like I said, some of it gets gets uh, actually paid for within the local aviation community.
0: Yeah. No, what's the biggest challenge? I mean, is you know, obviously, you know, it's kind of hard to find parts for a, an old you know Pratt & Whitney reciprocating engine. You You'd make be surprised. You making them yourself? Do you guys have the uh, do you have the engineering and drawings? Do you have you know or, or are you recreating stuff on the fly?
1: You'd be surprised at the number of those older engines that are out there and at the parts availability. Um, they cost, they, they do cost money, but there is a whole area within general aviation that that uh, utilizes a lot of these things. So that that really there are some types of aircraft that have a scarcity of parts for certain things, but in general, if you take most of our aircraft, we we can generally get the parts without too much trouble. And then yeah. and then if we, and then if we can't, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we have we do have the engineering, the drawings, and I mean we we could build a P fifty one from scratch if we had to, but that's that would be a little cost prohibitive.
0: <laughs> it's got to kill you every time you see a. You know, you 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 see the uh, the P fifty ones out at the Reno air races, and they're all they're all jacked up, et cetera. And uh, does that does that sometimes make you sometimes make you cringe? Uh, oh,
1: not really. I'm I'm going out to Reno in two or three weeks, and I'll be out there. Hey, look, th- those airplanes are flying, and they're they're doing the same thing. They're educating and inspiring, and they were they were. In the 50s and 60s, that's a big part of what Reno was, and it's a big part of what air shows were. So there's a lot of authentic aircraft out there. There's a lot of models that are, that are true to form and, and uh, period correct. But, you know, those aircraft are doing the same thing. They're inspiring, and they're motivating, and they're showing, look, what kind of engineering goes into to, to some of the stuff that they do those aircraft. It's amazing. So, uh, no, I, they're gonna, it's their airplane. They're going to have fun with it, do what they want with it.
0: Are you guys going to be able to take on some, you know, look, uh, you know, post-World War II aircraft, you know, the beginning of the jet area era and the, you know, any of you know, the sabers are, that are still left in the world and whatever else. Do you you still, know, be able to bring on some uh, some jets and support them too? Do you have them in the
1: in the program? We do have a couple of the World War II type of aircraft like you're speaking of. But, but in reality, uh, you know, the commemorative Air Force is going to have to, change in time and over time, and we're constantly looking at aircraft, uh, more modern aircraft. Right now, we're focused on World War II aircraft, but as time goes on and as, as history catches up with us, we will probably start looking at Korean-era aircraft and the Vietnam-era aircraft and, and uh, expand our vision of inspiring and educating, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to connect, connect to those areas. Eras. I mean, right now there's there's a large group of people that we can educate that actually connect their fathers or even they were you know flew in these aircraft. When when we did the dedication and the fundraising event and the unveiling of that's all brother, it's the, the uh, C47 that led the D-Day invasion at Normandy. We had uh, four or five families that were there whose fathers were either the pilot or the surgeon that flew on that aircraft and it's amazing the connection that these folks have and so as time passes we're going to probably start getting into korea or vietnam but that's down the road that's not what we're focused on right now but it probably will be in within the near future
0: no that's that's uh that's who's your where's your you know it it obviously takes a lot of resources to support the organization, is that coming from corporate donors, private money, you know, just people reaching into their checkbook
1: at, a, at an air show and supporting it, all it's all levels? All of the above. Uh, we don't have too many corporate sponsorships. We're, we're exploring that. We've been in contact with people. For the most part, it's through the very, very generous uh, efforts of, uh, of our membership, uh, private money, and then, you know, the everyday... Uh, person that's a part of the group of the organization um and then uh, most of our bigger groups you know the way that we're organized we have a central headquarters here in dallas i'm looking out my window at at the dallas executive Fields. it's a kind of a hazy day out there today we have a few aircraft here but most of the aircraft are spread around the united states and each unit has unit members and then each unit member is also a commemorative air force member um and so it, 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 uh, it all kind of rolls together. Most of the air, all the aircraft are actually uh, assigned by uh, the Flying Heritage Museum that we have. It's, they're all, they all fall under that. Um, but it is a large, uh, very diverse group of people. Um, and everybody does what they can to help contribute to the mission. And some people have, uh, monetary funds available. Some people just have a lot of time, and they're able to 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 uh, contribute their skills either uh, administratively or as a pilot or as a as a mechanic. And then each event, each each one of these units—I'm not going to say each one—but most of the units have an air show every year, which helps fund the unit for the next year. They have different fundraising events, um, so it's it's there's, there's no one way that the money comes to the organization. It's through a lot of hard work and dedication of the volunteers.
0: Yep. And how many volunteers are there? Are there?
1: Right around 12,000. Wow. 12,000 strong. Yep. Yep.
0: Is there any, uh, so, so you think about your aircraft, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some stories out there. Is there any one airplane that's got a particularly cool story that, you know, it makes people just go, wow, I never thought about it?
1: They, I think right now, I mean, all of them have stories. All of them are really, really amazing. Uh, the Red Tail aircraft and how it was damaged in an, in an accident several years ago, and it was rebuilt from the ground up. That's an inspiring story uh, from people. But right now, probably the, the most interesting story is the story of That's All Brother. And, uh, you can Google that's all brother. Um, it it is a very, um, interesting story. It reads kind of like a a spy novel actually where, uh, there's a a group in Oshkosh that, uh, takes old C-47s or DC-3s they take the, the, the old piston engines off of them and they put turbine engines on them and then they fly, uh, Fly around Alaska delivering yeah. uh, stuff, and, and they're really cool airplanes. Well, there was one of them there that was there uh, getting ready to be converted, and some gentlemen were looking at the serial numbers, and they were going, "Wow, that that airplane has some history to it." And they realized that it was a C forty seven that on the day of the D the D Day invasion, it it led the uh, the event. It led to the D-Day eva- invasion, and it had um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Donaldson. He was a commander of the 438 group. Uh, he planned the pi- He was supposed to be the pilot. So they they all went in, and, and that aircraft led the invasion. And that's the one. It was actually slated to be, you know, chopped up and modernized. Um, and so they, they basically, we basically saved it from, from being, I mean, it would have lasted another 50 years probably as hauling cargo, but, but it, it, it is an amazing restoration. I mean, when you go in that aircraft and like I said, you look through the, the, um, the small attention to detail things like the little first aid kit. If you look in it, it is a first aid kit from 1944. It's amazing. The interior is as if the aircraft was brand new. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat. And that aircraft is going to go over to Normandy in, uh, with a, another a large group of aircraft. And it's going to be reliving the D-Day invasion. And it, it's, it's just uh, it's an amazing thing. So they're going to go to, they'll fly across the North Atlantic, go to England spend um, um, a few days in England and go to France, do some reenactments. Some guys are going to jump out of the aircraft and then they're going to go to Germany to um, to to relive the the Berlin airlift. And then the whole gaggle is going to come back. So, uh, Basler Air, uh, Basler Aircraft and, and Oshkosh are the ones that rebuilt this thing. And like I say, they they it was tasked to be rebuilt rebuilt as a modern aircraft, but it it went through an amazing restoration. It's it is complete and it's been restored to last another hundred years, and it 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 just tells a an amazing story all the way through from not just its participation in the the the, the Normandy invasion, but also how it was saved and how a large group of private funds and and uh, kind of dedicated they the
0: value. They just saw the value in an airplane. Did some research Yeah Bachelor
1: saw a valued airplane and they were fine with that. But then when everybody looked around and said, Wow, that wait a minute, this airplane's a unique airplane, it's got some history. Let's fix this thing. And yep. uh, it really is a great story.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's it's too cool. You know, you see the, the history of these things and, and, you know, it, anytime you see one junked in a field or whatever, you're like, wow, what, a, you know, you wonder what the story is and could it be brought back to life? And, you know, so many things like that. And it's like, it's
1: like each airplane almost has its own personality. Um, and they do. That's one of the things that a lot of people don't get. These older aircraft, I mean, even newer aircraft to some degree, but these older aircraft, they may look exactly alike. But the engines start different, the systems are a little subtly different. They have slightly different flight characteristics, and 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 most of them are pretty docile. But then they have something that that they don't like, and uh, they these aircraft, in my opinion, these aircraft have earned the right to fly and to be a part of history and to be shown to people uh, because they helped us too. I mean, these aircraft have a personality and, and they they're very unique. Um and uh, I I find them to be very very inspiring. I really do.
0: That's uh, it's awesome. Hey, can can we switch gears a little bit? Sure. So you were uh so b- before the Commemorative Air Force, obviously when you you know, when uh when you and I first met, you were the president of AirSim Flight Academy. Yep. and you know, you 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 look at modern day aviation and pilot training versus you know sixty years ago, seventy years ago, during World War II. What's the challenge ahead for pilots and flight training? And what do you what are you seeing out there? I mean, you're you're there's no bigger expert than you.
1: Well, you know, it kind of gets back to our mission of inspiring and educating, um, and, and something I said earlier today: a lot of young people grow up. And they are not exposed to airplanes like you and I might have been. And there's there's not a romance of flight like there was uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Not in the United States, anyway. In Asia and in many parts of Europe, being an airline pilot is still a romantic uh, kind of a job. It's held at a very high social esteem. <clears throat> the pay is very good. And in the United States, it's not quite that way anymore. There's not a lot of role models for people to see, like you talk about Chuck Yeager and the movies that we saw when we were young, the right stuff, and, and the John Wayne movies, and the Flying Tigers and Bye Bye Black Sheep. So a lot of young people today don't realize that there is a great career out there in being a pilot or an engineer. And one of the things that we did at, at Aerosim was we started – doing uh, open houses once a quarter to get the kids in there, let them see, let them fly a simulator, let them see what a real airplane was like and and understand that A, it's a great job. The pay is getting better at the regionals all the time. There was a significant barrier to entry from the standpoint of uh, of funds for young people, but um, that's, that's improving every day. And and my inside baseball friends are telling me that that's going to, I think, change very much within the next three to six months. So we just need to, to get the young people out there and educate them about the opportunities as engineers, as mechanics, to, to be uh, a mechanic in the airlines. Those are some great engin- opportunities out there. and And just to say, hey, you can do this. Um, through education, through inspiration, through uh, outreach programs. We do summer camps here and at many of our units. Uh, We work with the schools to to do the same thing. We're going to try to leverage D-Day Brother and uh, the D-Day evolution with That's All Brother and show people, uh, look, this is what it was like, but you know what? This is what it's like now, and, and these are opportunities for you. But I think it's really, really important for our country that we understand that there is a problem. There's a pilot shortage. You and I have been talking about this for, for eight or nine years now, that that it's there and it's coming. Well, now it's here. And the only way we fix that is by teaching the younger generation that these are the opportunities. It's a good job. There's good pay in and, and, and engineering as well. And, and to be honest, we're kind of falling behind our, we've got a lead in aviation and, and, and it's a pretty solid lead, but that lead is diminishing. Asia is eating into it as well as Europe. And if we're not really, really careful, we're going to find out that, that one day we're going to wake up and we're not going to be the world's leader in aviation.
0: Is one, is one of the terms, I mean, obviously you talk about cockpit technology and it's, and it's pretty amazing now. I mean, it, not pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yes, and you know, are we are we getting a little ahead of ourselves as far as you know? Is there too much? Is there too much technology in a cockpit? I, I don't. Does it
1: erode the skills of pilots? You know, I, I don't think so. I, I do think that um, there is an issue there. Uh, you know, I can remember flying in the Gulf War when the GPS that we had was a, a box. It was about the size of a loaf of bread that we carried with us, and it was just digital. You, yeah, you still had to translate. It. Still had to translate that into a map, but um, the the young people of today are so good with utilizing resources and video. They can go through these programs and, and through the glass cockpits and and manage those resources very very well. I do think that for some people, what they tend to do is they. They tend to focus inside, and they're looking at that pretty CRT there in front of them, and they're not looking out, paying attention to what's going on out, out, outside of the aircraft. You know, back when I was a flight student, they always said aviate, navigate, communicate. And I think sometimes people on there are, are, are there, I don't even know what the word for it is. They're, They're they're, you know, videoing aviate and communicating. So I do think you're right. There is an issue there. I think the young people of today have a better Ability to handle that, um, but a lot of this equipment is just—it is so much better than anything that we ever had. Their their, their navigation is absolutely precise.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the the new traffic uh, ABSV systems where you can avoid collisions—it's it, amazing. It's much much better than the systems we had in the Navy. Um, so yeah, there there are some drawbacks. But I think the benefits far outweigh the risks, and I think more of the risks lie in the older generation guys like me that tend to get fixed on, "Wow, that's a pretty screen. Look at all those colors." <laughs> you know, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that needs to be looking outside the cockpit, not inside.
0: Right. Yeah. No. No doubt. You, you think about. Uh, you know, I was talking to uh, talking to one guy who flies a global. I'm like, well. He's like hey look when the weather's bad you know we we're, you know, we're flying a lot on systems when the weather is good you know we turn the systems off and we hand fly the airplane and challenge each other with various emergencies I, and it, it, yeah, look there's no there's no one answer it's variety is the spice of life right yeah yeah so that's cool but hey so what's uh so you're week 5 into the new role what's the big uh yeah, you know, what are the initiatives for the commemorative Air Force moving forward? What do you, what do you, yeah, you know, what do you and your board of directors really want to accomplish over the next three, four, five years?
1: Well, right now, one of our biggest things that we're looking at is building a museum here in Dallas. Uh, we moved the the headquarters from Midland several years ago to here in Dallas. Uh, we've got a nice headquarters building, big hangars. Uh, but one of the things that we're working on right now is raising funds for Phase One of the headquarters museum some of our units have museum activities but this is going to be uh, a museum that is going to focus a lot on education it's going to have a lot of aircraft in it it's going to have parts of aircraft in it and it'll be phase one so we're working hard hopefully we're going to break ground early next year to do that uh and, and so right now that's that's the big focus for me it's it's uh, learning the organization, learning the people. It's very, like I said, complex uh, organization and complex uh, systems. And and, and it, it's just the day-to-day activities. I mean, I look at the next month, and for the, the entire next month, we're going to be – I'm going to be doing something every weekend. So I'll be at the the Wings Over Dallas Air Show October 26th through the 28th. Then we've got uh, – the Parade of Warbirds here in Dallas, not this weekend, but next weekend. Reno the next weekend. So it's one of those things where, you know, you, you're taking a swing at the tree every once in a while while you're constantly working to further the, the, uh, the efforts of the overall education, uh, mm-hmm. overall unit. But always focusing on that education piece because the education piece is, is really, really valuable.
0: You're getting a lot of, it sounds like you're getting a lot of local support. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Reno, Dallas, um, you know, all the local air shows around the country. It sounds like you, you do get a lot of local support from the people.
1: Yeah. You get a lot. There's a lot of local support here in Dallas for the organization. And, and we're, we're working very, very hard to, to, uh, leverage that even more. Like I said, we're, we're about 80% towards our goal of fundraising for the, for the, uh, the museum and the education center here, and that's going pretty well. Um, and then each unit is kind of interesting. There's, there's um, uh, uh, local within the unit support, and that's great, and we encourage that. And then there's national support for the headquarters. Uh, it's a very diverse uh, group of people. And the headquarters is there to help support those units. I mean, we have, we have a vice president of operations and safety who goes out to each unit, standardizes the pilots. And, and uh, we have each aircraft, operate, you know, answering into a, a formal database to make sure that the aircraft are, you know, the, the, that they are current and that the 100 hours and the annuals are being done. So there, there's no shortage of things to do around here, I promise you.
0: Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. How can people um, support your cause? How do they, uh, how do they find y'all?
1: Probably the best thing to do is go to, we've got a brand new website. I want to make sure that I say this right. I know that I am, but uh, it's a brand new website. It's uh, commemorativeairforce.org. Yeah, commemorativeairforce.org. And if you just search, do a Google search of commemorative air force, that'll bring you to that site. Uh, We have a lot of aircraft on there. The the locations, the events, our schedules. We're also on Facebook. Uh, We do a lot of, we have a lot of outreach efforts on Facebook. You can look me up, Hank Coates, on Facebook and, and go to the commemorative air force via that, as well as uh, I'm on LinkedIn under Hank Coates. Um, So, yeah, you know, a big part of it is exactly what you're talking about. Education is getting the word out and talking about the missions that we're on and being able to fly in a P-51 Mustang at some of our events or, or flying that's all brother or flying a B-17. It's not something you get to do every day. It's kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it takes a lot of resources to keep, uh, keep that, keep it happening too.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: So cool. But, uh, Hey, thanks for, uh, Thanks for taking some time to be here with me today. Anytime,
1: brother. I, I, you know, if I if I can ever help you out in the future, you let me know.
0: Yeah, and likewise, I'll uh, I'm gonna get on your website. Um, you'll get a donation from uh, from North Star Group here this week. And uh, look forward I
1: really to help. really appreciate it
0: helping the cause. And I hope uh, other people who are listening to this will uh, will support y'all as well. It's a, it's a uh, you know it's really an important organization to keep the industry moving in the right direction.
1: I, I really appreciate it. Young, and, young kids. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, to me, that's, that's the most important part is uh, seeing those kids' faces light up, you know, during some of our summer camps and evolutions that we have. And uh, something that's really, really amazing is, is our Red Tail uh, exhibit. It's the Rise Above program. And, and we do so much. And to get that information out there, we really appreciate your efforts to do that for us. I really do
0: no it's all good so um cool well hey good luck at uh good luck at dallas this weekend and reno next and uh man i'm i'm, I'm sort of jealous i wish i uh i wish i had uh, to travel the every weekend to an air show
1: uh it, it it's fun but it's gonna get a little <laughs> a little much <nuts. laughs> anyway anytime anytime you're in dallas please come by and then i'm sure i'll see you out and about uh here in the near future you got it thanks hank